1: Hold the elevator! We have to wait. This is the Rich Eisen show. Every time I got on an elevator or attempted to get on an elevator, the Rich Eisen show. This dynamic played out every time. Hold the elevator! I'm trying to get on the elevator, and the door shut on me, and the guy (laughs) guy looks straight (laughs) at me in the eye. (laughs) Earlier
0: on the show, ESPN NBA
1: insider Brian Wintorst, senior writer for the MMQB. Albert Breer. Coming up, ESPN.com senior NBA writer, Ramona Shelburne, plus ESPN NFL analyst, Dan Orlovsky. And now, the elevator. it's Rich Eisen. Hour <laughs> number three the Rich Eisen show is on the air. Uh, just like the first half of our program, we had some basketball conversation with Brian Windhorst uh, and some football conversation with... Our friend Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated. This third hour uh, is going to be the exact same construct uh, as our first two hours. If you missed any of the conversations uh, here on our program, our YouTube page is there for you. YouTube.com slash Rich Eisen Show. This show also re-airs all the time on Peacock uh, every single day right here on NBC Sports on Peacock. There's the sports button just above my finger. I, I've practiced this at home, by the way, uh, staring at the screen on Peacock to see the the the, the tab. Uh, right here, you can see all of our videos on the sports page or on this NBC Sports on Peacock station. Uh, we follow the Dan Patrick show every day, uh, and we precede brother from another, which we'll take you to at the top of this hour. 844-204-RICH is the number to dial here on the program. Uh, Dan Orlovsky's later on to talk about uh, the world of the National Football League from the worldwide leader in sports but also from ESPN right now joining us on the Mercedes-Benz Vans phone line uh to discuss everything going on in the association is senior NBA writer from ESPN Ramona Shelburne how are you doing Ramona
2: Hey I'm good how are you Rich
1: uh, I'm great uh we were talking about you the other day because as we went out oh, yeah? the, as we went out the <laughs> door as we went out the door we saw the news uh involving the um the television show that's going to be made out of your fantastic podcast uh, about the Clippers and Donald Sterling, the Donald Sterling tapes, that Ed O'Neill is playing Donald Sterling.
2: Yeah. How do you love that cast?
1: I mean, my gosh, that is just, he's, you know, Al, Al Bundy and and Jay Pritchett as, uh, as Donald Sterling is just, it's jarring to me. <laughs> but that's pretty cool. You know what
2: was interesting? It was like, I know the process that we went through to get there. Right. And I remember like, you know, you hear different names, you hear this. And when they said, I never in a million years thought of that myself. Right. Like, you know, sure. when I was doing the podcast and doing the, you know, covering this and envisioning, this should be a movie or a scripted series one day. I never would have thought at O'Neill. Right. Right. And then when they said it to me, I was like, Oh, that could totally work. Like, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then, and it was, it was one of those kind of castings. And it, you know, I'm really excited about it because I was—I'm um, a big Breaking Bad person, right? Yes. So, um, I think he's got that—he's got a lot more than Al Bundy to him. Like, he probably of just know a lot of people know that he's like a theater actor. He's got a lot in him, and I, he sort of has this Cranston potential to me in that—you know—the Walter White role. Like, there's just this, this could be a really good role for him, and I think I'm—I'm I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Know, um, yeah. So D- it's kind of you know, because usually when you think Donald Sterling, like. You know, some of the names we... You know, Dustin Hoffman, right? Or some other... Like, those kind of names. Jack Nicholson or something. But this was... This is a really inspired cast. I'm like really
1: excited about it. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, he was on the yeah. show years ago. Uh, he's been on yeah. a couple times at O'Neill, and he said he was discovered for the Al Bundy role coming off of uh, playing Lenny of, in, of Mice and Men. I mean, like, he's a serious yeah. thespian, no question about yeah. that. And also, like, who, who would look at John C. Riley and say, that's Jerry Buss, right? So right. you and never.
2: He was amazing in that role.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So who else are you, are you targeting for or, or have already cast well, for this show? Ramona.
2: So, the, 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 the other one is Lawrence Fishburne is going to play Doc Rivers. Um, oh and gosh. that's a, I mean, you need some, like the role that'll probably be the breakout role, right? The, the one who's, you know, going to be nominated for awards, I think is probably that role, right? It's okay. the Doc Rivers' role. So, that's, uh, I think Lawrence was the first big name to sign on. Um, and he really wanted that role. I think he's going to be great. He's got a lot of gravitas, which I, I'm wondering how he's going to get the rap, though you going to get that Doc Rivers rap <laughs> voice? I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. Or, or do you just kind of play it straight, you know? Like, but, um, and then uh, for Shelley Sterling, which is, that was always the role that I was, you know, when I'm, I'm a woman, okay? So, yes. in this industry, you're always thinking about, like, who would play this role. And that, that was always the storyline I was drawn to. It was actually the, the character that made me think this should be more than just a story, but it could be a drama. Um, which is like, I mean, here's this woman after 60 years of marriage to this guy where she puts up with a lot of stuff and she puts up with, um, you know, philandering and poor behavior and racist stuff and all this, all this awful behavior. After 60 years of marriage, he had this tape comes out and all this, mm. everything goes wrong. And she finally not only, not only sells the team out from under him, but gets him mentally incapacitated in order to do so. And I'm like, here's this little old lady that no one would have ever expected. She's kind of seen as this sweet old lady. And she kind of had to, I mean, I don't know if you want to say she tricked him into this dentist, but she got him to go see two doctors who then, di- you know, diagnosed him with, the, with, you know, mentally incapacitated to manage the family finances. I'm like, that was a boss move. Who thought she had that in her? Um, and that was, that was always like the character I was drawn to. I was like, you know, those, the ones you never see coming, right? Um, and I just thought, what a great role for an older actress! What a great role! Like, there's not so many of those kind of roles. Um, it reminded me of that. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that Woody Allen movie, um, you know, uh, with Cate Blanchett, where her husband's the hedge fund manager, and, and she kind of has to, you know, she kind of has to figure out what to do after her life, you know, changes. It's called Blue Jasmine, right? Kind of reminded me of that kind of a role, and I was like, man, there's so many great actresses who are in there. 70s and 80s who would just love that role so we we ended up going with jackie weaver who you probably know from uh silver Linings playbook right yeah, she's sure. in the new mark Wahlberg movie so that's that was it's, i think she's going to be amazing
1: fantastic then so, and, and by the way and yeah. also keeping your own uh center court seats too you know she's still
2: yeah yeah I, well, I haven't seen her in too many games lately she kept her seats, you know but she hasn't, she hasn't gone as much the last few years right so i think yeah, it's been a distance
1: there. So when does this come out? When does this come out on on FX? Sometime
2: next year. Fantastic. I think we're gonna shoot um, later on this year, and then. Um and it comes out next year, you know, whenever that is. Sure. I don't know
1: the holiday game like you guys do, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know? like, You're right. Well, so, 2023-ish, you know, right? Congrats However on all that. how long it takes to be good,
1: yeah. Yeah, sure. Congrats on all that. Uh, Ramona Shelburne, of course, right here uh, on the Rich Eisen Show. Uh, as for the actual drama playing out here um, Ooh, yeah. in Los Angeles uh, with the Lakers, where, where are they? Because, uh, you know, um, Mike Brown being named... Uh, from the Warriors staff to fill the yeah. Sacramento Kings spot. Where where are the Lakers right now in their coaching search, best you can tell, uh, Ramona?
2: So I, I, this would be the right way to put it. They are taking their sweet time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually had brought up Mike Brown's name earlier, like when I was talking to somebody with the Lakers, like, hey, would you guys think about Mike Brown? I mean, he's exactly kind of what you need, somebody who knows how to coach LeBron, defensive-minded, you know. <laughs> And so I, and I caught myself right. Like I hate to say it, but I was like, "Oh, you already did that. That's right. Yeah, Mike was already the Laker coach. <laughs> right. right. And then I brought up Mike D'Antoni. I was like, "Yeah, that would be great too. It would really unlock the offense." The, the, oh, yeah.
1: they already did that. Too. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I didn't laugh because I mean, but it it kind of speaks to how many coaches they've gone through since Phil Jackson left, right? There just really hasn't been. A lot of consistency, and I know in talking to Jeannie Buss and her organizational philosophy, and maybe even if you watch Winning Time, I don't know (laughs) if you've been watching that, like the Lakers have historically been a team that keeps coaches for a long time. They find somebody and they hold on to them for a decade, you know? Um, You know, the whole Winning Time season one is obviously the Jack McKinney, Paul Wester thing. but then once Pat Riley takes over, I mean, he holds that job for a while, right? Yeah. Um, You know, same thing. With uh, same thing with Bill Jackson, he was the, he was a man, and so just hard to find somebody to replace um, somebody with you know that kind of status and legendary you know legendary gravitas. I guess you want to use that word, but um, I don't know. I don't I don't know if they know what they're looking for. To be honest, I think they're kind of surveying the field, talking to a bunch of people. Some of them are some of them are assistants. Some of them are guys who've been coaches before. They're just doing Zooms right now, not even in person. They don't seem to have any sense of urgency about this. Um, their current staff outside of Frank Vogel is still under contract and working and helping with the draft process. They, I don't think they, they're in any hurry. Um, and some of that is maybe just waiting to see what else happens in the playoffs and in the NBA who might be avail- available. But they really don't have any competition. There's only like, a couple of jobs open this year. Just um, you know, Sacramento filled theirs, and they went with Mike Brown, who the Lakers – Again, had already been there, done that, right? And um, he'd already been there, done that. Um, you know, so the other one is Charlotte. Um, I think, you know, Charlotte has a couple options. Mike D'Antoni seems like he's he's in a good spot for that job. Hmm. Again, been there, done that. So the Lakers really have their pick.
1: So if you were, though, a coach being wooed by the Lakers, what would you ask them? Because it seems to me, you know, I would want to interview the Lakers as much as vice versa.
2: Absolutely. Right? So, that that is, you're right. A hundred percent. And I don't know if that's going to help you, though. <laughs> <laughs> in, in,
1: Why? Because you might not but, get an answer because they don't know either or, or they don't want to be interviewed as yeah. much as the, the other way around. Right?
0: Both,
2: both. I mean, you know, look, Frank Vogel was the guy who they ended up with. <laughs> he, they got, they did a good job. I mean, I, you know, he won a championship and I think people forget he had a really good staff that first year. That was something that they prioritized and it was seen as sort of a negative for the organization. Like, Oh, the organization wants to help you choose your staff. Like very few coaches want to allow that. They want their own guys. They want to build their own team, etc. cetera. Um, but the Lakers, you know, felt really strongly that they wanted to put an all-star staff together and yeah, you know, that first year with Frank Vogel, we had a we had three or four guys who had been head coaches in the league before on that staff, and they sort of slowly, you know, Jason Kidd went to Dallas, Lionel Hollins was sort of unceremoniously let go, um, or bumped from the bench or whatever it is, and the staff has seen some attrition over the last couple of years. And, you know, as much as you, you might knock the Lakers for saying, okay, what, what good coach worth of salt is going to let you pick a bunch of guys on his staff, it did work the first year. Um and it was good. It was good for them. So I, I, I think they're going to have. They're going to end up with somebody who will allow that. I think they're going to. That's that's something that seems important to them. Um, unless somebody really blows them away and they just want to give them the keys, but I, I can't think of anybody who would have that kind of leverage right now because so many great young coaches were hired last year. There was so many some many of the great names that you hear about who would have the leverage or the ability to pull off something like that. Um, You know, they they were all hired. They had a lot of openings last year. So there's just not as many candidates that you would would think in
1: that role. Ramona Shelburne here uh, on the Rich Eisen Show. Uh, Who is your best guess right now uh, to make the NBA Finals? Uh, It looks like we could have a bunch of 2-2 series, although Morant being out tonight um, makes me think that that would be a a very tall order for them to even that series up at two apiece. But what do you think
0: right now?
2: Yeah, so I... I like the I like the Warriors in the West, and I still think I like the Bucks in the East. Um, just there's something about you know having won a championship and, and especially getting that Game Three that was really that was really persuasive to me. To get the, the way they came back in that game against Boston, there. Um, I know the Bucks have blown leads before, but they also when they blew those leads were not defending champions. So I, I all year long I just kind of thought Milwaukee was going to do it again. Um, in the West, I, I still think it's going to be Phoenix and Golden State. And there's just a part of me that when when they played straight up, so there was only a, one or two games where they played straight up, where all their guys were were healthy, mm-hmm. and I thought the Warriors looked better in those games. The other games were Phoenix. You know, the Warriors had some injuries or whatever it was. Um, you know, it it uh, Phoenix beat them pretty badly. But but I I just there's something about those guys having been to the finals before. Knowing what it takes in the playoffs, light-edge the Warriors if that ends up being the matchup.
1: Ramona, thanks for the call. Congrats on uh, all the great castings hey. for your show. Let's stay in touch. Um, and... yeah, I'll let
2: you know when we get our V Siviana. That's going to be a good one. To uh... I know the names <laughs> talking to right now. That's, that's that's my favorite one, too. I'm like, who, who are we going to get played? play v? <laughs>
1: TV. That would be yeah, absolutely. Who's who's playing? Uh, Let's cast it. right now. I mean, We could cast it, <laughs> right? Who's going to play? Who's going to play Chris Paul? I mean, I imagine that would be a very fascinating yeah. casting as yeah, well. Some good ones, you know. Yep. I'm sure. Uh, best of luck with that. Let's uh, stay cool. in touch. I'll call you soon. Thanks yep. again, Ramona. i good. Thanks, that, you got it. That's Ramona Shelburne from ESPN, right here on the Rich Eisen show. Let's take a break. Uh, Dan Orlovsky coming up next. He had an interesting, um, if you will, take on uh, the top five quarterbacks under the most pressure entering the NFL season. You're already rolling your eyes because you know (laughs) who's number one. I mean, That's what the the star on the side of your helmet means. Uh, I'm I'm not not in full agreement of of what he's put out there, but we'll hit that with with Dan when we come back right here on the Rich Eisen Show. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people, or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. helpful and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Back here on our simulcast, we're one big happy family here on NBC Sports on Peacock, NBC Sports Audio, our Rich Eisen show, Terrestrial Radio Uh, affiliate network the odyssey app that's how you can watch us and listen to us live there's our youtube page youtube.com slash rich eisen show for anything that you may have missed love this guy love when he comes on love watching him um, uh, and his star rise at the worldwide leader in sports joining me here uh, from the nfl live crew and every other show that he's on on espn they certainly put him to work joining us here on the mercedes-benz vans phone line it's been a while dan orlowski how you been dan
3: rich i've been great buddy awesome job at the draft by the way thank you Uh, it is uh it it is good to be back on with you
1: bud it's a big bear of an assignment no doubt about that um coming out of the draft as you know dan uh half the battle or a large part of the battle for a rookie quarterback is to wind up in a good spot where the coach uh knows what to do the coaching staff knows what to do the coaching staff isn't going to get the axe same thing with the front office um, and which quarterback do you think winds up in the best spot after they got drafted in 2022
3: Dan yeah I, I still think it's Malik Willis you know I, I do think that Kenny Pickett's in a good place for Pittsburgh and I think that if I'm Pittsburgh this is an open competition with the built-in of this is Mitch Trubisky's job unless Kenny Pickett takes it from him. And if, you feel, if, if that happens, then you feel good about that. If you're Pittsburgh, t- that we made the right pick. The concern for me is the offensive line in Pittsburgh is still a subpar unit. And if I was going to tell you what Kenny Pickett was good at and what he struggled with, it would be his mechanics in the pocket and leaving clean pockets and you know h- how much he just allows the rush to impact him throughout the game. That's why I say Malik Willis, one, we know John Robinson, the general manager for Tennessee, is not going anywhere with the roster that he has built. Uh, two, Mike Brable, the head coach, has absolutely no pressure right now for his job. So he's not going to what we see in the NFL all the time, and you know this, rush a young quarterback on the field to try and save their job. Um, their offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, you know, is schematically um, built uh, and believes in Dominant offensive line play, committing to the run game, never allowing the game to dictate who you are, and really allowing the play-action game to be the fundamental part of your passing game. And I think that's what allows Malik Willis to play at his strength. Now, he needs at least a year, if not two years, of just learning. You know, this is a guy that's super talented, physical player, very bright young man, but I don't believe was actually stressed to develop that football intelligence and and really learn protections and really learn run checks and really learn coverage change because it was, hey, run the line of scrimmage, let's run RPOs and let's take shots down the field. And I think if Tennessee could just be really smart and patient with him and allow him to really play a little bit of catch up there, um, he's got the chance to be a really good player.
1: Yeah, and of course, you know when he gets on the field, we're assuming Derrick Henry's still going to be have have some significant years of viability left. I I did like that 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 scenario for sure. What about Desmond Ritter in Atlanta? What did you think of that one, Dan? Well, uh,
3: like I think it's a good landing spot, Rich. I do. I, I believe that. If you ask me, the two things that he did well: run the line of scrimmage, and then. uh play-action, pass, in rhythm. Uh, that's what he did at Cincinnati, and that's what Arthur Smith, they're all head coaches, you know, coming coming from. That's what he believes in. Uh, that team is devoid of talent beyond words, poor offensive line, poor skill group. And Kyle Pitts and Drake London, you know, very young and promising players. Obviously, Kyle Pitts is the, the superstar, but they don't have really proven wide receiver talent. And I think that hurts a little bit. We'll see if he actually plays beneath Marcus Mariota. Atlanta just comes across to me as a team that is going to go through a difficult year. And then next year, go big game hunting, Uh, whether it's in the draft, because they're going to be a top five, top six draft pick next year. You know? So I just, I I think that they're going to see some of the talent that's coming out of the college rank next year. So while I, I think it's a good fit for Ritter unless he gets on the field and then plays above the supporting cast. I think Atlanta's back in the mix next year.
1: Dan Orlovsky here on the Rich Eisen Show from ESPN. Uh, Let's talk second-year quarterbacks and who's going to have the biggest leap. And there's so many different, uh, you know, leaps that we're talking about here. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, year one, year two. Doug Peterson's now there. The guy who kicked his kicker has now been kicked to the curb. That alone should just – mean so much for him yeah i said it zach wilson gets sure. garrett wilson and and breese hall and that goes with elijah moore and a supposedly uh, uh healthy Corey davis uh, michael carter year too they got a whole bunch of tight ends drafted and free agency um uh, becton could come back then you got trey lance uh you, anything he does is a leap right uh then you've got Mac yep. jones we saw what he He did last year, and you could even throw Davis Mills in there, who had the second-best rookie season of a quarterback. Justin Fields, a big question mark. Which one do you think is going to wind up with the biggest leap, Dan Orlovsky? What do you think?
3: Yeah, I think it's Zach Wilson, and Richie, I don't really think it's close. Um, I think the quarterback that we saw set up going into their second season to play this well was Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. I think I look at the whole situation as this. Number one, second year in a system that has for 40-plus years had quarterbacks play above their talent level, and that's the Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan system. It is just as quarterback-friendly when it comes to the commitment to the run, the threat of the run, and then the easy play-action pass throws out of it. So that alone is going to force a jump. Mike LaFleur, the offense coordinator, second year. But their offensive line right now has three first-round draft picks on it. You mentioned Becton, but AVT, and then Lakin Tomlinson was a first-round pick as well. Hmm. Huge free agent signing from the 49ers. So this in two years, Joe Douglas, your general manager, has given Zach Wilson a good offensive line. I think it's got a chance to be a pretty darn good offensive line, candidly. You mentioned the tight end. And now they've got two first round selections at wide receiver, a second round selection at wide receiver, and basically a first round tailback in Brees Hall, because we reports were saying that they were gonna take him. And that's everything for a quarterback to go go play well, dude. Like this, if you are the talent that the second pick in the NFL draft kind of demands you to be or deems you to be, then we're in a good place. And I think Zach Wilson is going to have a giant leap this year not only because of that but also I saw him come back from injury last year, his last six games of the year he looked like a good player and from everything that you hear and from the people that I kind of talk to that I know in that organization um they have they have said that he has taken a massive leap oh, when boy. it comes to his ownership of uh, his role within their organization oh my
1: gosh I got to tell you that excites me uh, to no end, and I love Sauce Gardner and what they did in the first round too. You got Jermaine Johnson the yep. second. Uh, I don't know. Yep. I, I don't understand what I'm seeing with a, a competent front office actually building a team from the inside out. <laughs> it's new for, for yeah, Jets fans, it, huh? is, it is. It is weird. I, I
3: just, I, I think he's. Um, I think he's a really good place. And I like if you contrast it to Justin Fields' situation in Chicago, it's not even close. You know, anyone who expects Justin Fields to take a big leap this year. You're kidding yourself, or he's going to be the MVP of the league. <laughs> <But they don't... laughs>
1: there's no, there's no in between. There's no in between.
3: Well, they just—they've got a bottom five, bottom six offensive line. Still, they're—they're they're two top, through two top pass catchers. Are, you know, uh, mm. a second round tight end from two or three years ago, and a third round rookie this year that they took out of Tennessee. Now, Darnell Mooney. You know, is a good player. I don't believe he's proven to be a number one or number two in the league. So he doesn't have a number one or number two receiver as far as like guys with, you know, are bona fide in that role. Um, bottom five offensive line, it's just, it's a lot to ask of him. Um, I'm concerned about who's calling plays in New England. I've been adamant about that. I don't believe that that's a good situation for Mac this year. So hmm. I, I, am really convinced. I think Jack, Zach takes a big jump.
1: No. What are your concerns about Mac Jones? What are your concerns about him?
3: Well, uh, two things. I, number one, the the draft pick of Thornton out of Baylor as wide receiver in the second round. Um, I'm not trying to be a jerk. Like, name the last player that came out of Baylor that the hype meant that he exceeded the hype or met the hype. You know, Corey Coleman, the receiver, didn't work out. Denzel Mims, as you Jets fans know, hasn't worked out. Um, Kendall Wright, for the Tennessee Titans first round pick, didn't work out. Um, you know these there's Baylor receivers that are really good college players and they get drafted to go be big speed guys and you know Josh Gordon was the supplemental draft pick that actually worked and I just don't know if uh, I don't believe that Tyquan Thornton is going to be this second round receiver when after him went Alex Pierce the receiver out of Cincinnati that went to Indy Sky Moore and went to Kansas City so both speed guys but also good receivers and then if you look at rich the, the quarterbacks the young quarterbacks in the nfl over the last four or five years that have taken these jumps in young parts of their careers there's been this continuity in their offensive coaching staff patrick mahomes had you know mike kafka and eric Bienemy. josh allen had brian dable and ken dorsey um um joe burrows had zach taylor and brian callahan Lamar Jackson's had Greg Roman and um I believe their quarterback coach is Jeremy Urban. Like he's had these guys for the same amount of time. Mac Jones goes from Josh McDaniels to a coach that's never called offensive plays in the league. Like that 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 is a, an issue.
1: Dan Orlovsky here on the Rich Eisen Show. You can catch NF him on NFL Live and the uh host of uh, television shows on the worldwide leader in sports here on the Rich Eisen Show. So Uh, I definitely saw you talk about quarterbacks under the most pressure entering uh, the 2022 season. Um, And uh, I I want you to tell me why you chose Dak Prescott as number one atop your list. Dan.
3: I mean, it's go time. You know, we we all know what the narrative is, and it's, A fair one and an accurate one when you pay the quarterback a bunch of money what happens to the rest of your roster the stress that it puts on the rest of your roster and you know the the ability to build that I also started thinking of the last quarterbacks that basically within a year of them getting their big contract extension what they did with it Patrick went to the Super Bowl Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl um um Josh Allen basically played one of the greatest quarterback games we've ever seen of last year's playoffs. Uh, And so now Dak Prescott has been like the last quarterback that got his big money that we're sitting here as a young player or still youngish player and saying, okay, now it's time to pay it off and and prove that that was the right investment. Uh, We see it didn't work out in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz. And I just think that this roster has been slowly picked off a little bit since that contract and this is a team that plays in you know a not non-elite division in a non-elite conference and I've said this before I'm not being a jerk it's the truth name me the last time you can remember Dak Prescott carrying the Cowboys or being the reason the Cowboys won a game versus a good opponent
1: I guess they didn't win against the Bucks last year in week 1, but him coming back I I I see what you're saying and I was very disappointed with the their playoff performance this past year highly right. and I and and being a Cowboy quarterback is is always one of the most pressure situation, uh, and I saw the right. rest of your I saw the rest of your list as well, Dan. You know where uh, three, four, five are young quarterbacks who I think need to prove their worth now while they're being evaluated now. I think Zach Wilson still has a gig. Fourth is Jalen Hurts on your list. I think he is definitely in a do or die year, and you could say Tua. I think that's a perfect number three as well um, because of the way that Miami has totally remade itself. Your number two answer, not to go first take on you, but I got to push back. Why do you think Aaron Rodgers has any pressure at all? I, 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 I don't think he's under pressure at all. Why do you put him two on this list, Dan? Why?
3: Because it would be absolutely one of the most indescribable or inexplainable things that if Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay with just a single Super Bowl – and I am not the person who measures quarterbacks by Super Bowls and, like, they're good or bad. But I know I played against this dude, like, 15 times, and I know what I watched, and I know the talent that I saw. And it would be very difficult for me to understand how, if the only wins one, that was the case. With the, the stability that they've had, with the amount of talent that they have had, to not be and, and he didn't play good last year in the playoffs. And, you know, that was a team that really had a lot of makings of being a Super Bowl champion. And, you know, the the eighteen months long of I don't want to be in Green Bay or I'm upset about what's going on in Green Bay and now the relationship's gotten better. I'm gonna stay in Green Bay, even though they took a quarterback in the first round three years ago. Um yeah, I think that it, it This is like I believe he's under the most uh, pressure he's ever uh, been under. Um, not financially, but just far as climbing the mountain, reaching the ultimate top. Um, you know, I, I think that this is probably the most pressure he's ever felt uh, when it comes to accomplishing that goal.
1: I don't know. I I just think the guy doesn't feel it. I just don't think he feels it or senses it. And that if he does finish with one. Super Bowl he'll still show up as a first ballot Hall of Famer in that gold jacket the rest of his career and people will still be talking about him the same way that you did which is one of the most incredibly talented guys to ever play and you know Marino seems to be able to stand tall without any of those uh rings as he shows up to Canton every year that's my I don't know I I I I, that that would be my pushback on that and that we could choose another guy to throw in it too overall
3: I don't all this. Disi- I don't. I don't all this. Disi- like last year, we had the same question, and I said unequivocally it was Matthew Stafford. Did I think that if Matthew Stafford won or did not win the Super Bowl last year, his life as a human at forty-five or fifty years old was going to be any different? No. Do I think that same case for Aaron Rodgers? I do. I don't think his life, whether he wins the Super Bowl in the next year or two, as far as a human or a personal thing at 45 or 50 is going to be any different. I don't think it's going to be any different. But these guys are the cream of the crop, the most competitive, maniacal, um, driven human beings on planet Earth. And I know, I, I'm putting words in his mouth, I know that dude wants to win another one. I, like, know it because there's no way that the, that he accomplishes what he accomplishes if he's not obsessed trying to chase that down and trying to go do it another time, and I can't imagine that he's not expecting. I got to go get it done. Like he's even hinted at it in press conferences a little bit. You know, like hey, mm-hmm. it, it's we we, we got to find a way to get it done.
1: Well, because I'm a guy that doesn't just uh, push back and then not make a suggestion. I I, I would uh, remove Rodgers from that list and put Russell Wilson right there. I mean, Denver thinks that they're they're ready to roll now, and that in that he's the missing ingredient. That he's he's a much younger version of, of Peyton Manning and by that i mean uh, for a guy that comes with a, a ring to town to finish up their yep. career on a high note um that's what i mean not not skill set and obviously not all, all time yep. you know goat level that's that's where i mean i'd put russell there because everybody's going to be looking at him and saying this is it's goat time now thanks for coming and yeah. we'll see what he looks like yeah
3: so i actually gave um, get up, I think, seven or eight names. Russell was on there. Okay. Tannehill was on there. Sure. Um, I've kind of phrased the Russell Wilson situation as this. I think it's a must-win window, not a must-win season. Got it. Um, you know, I absolutely agree that he has to go win a Super Bowl in Denver for not only what they gave up to get him, but how good of a team they are. I mean, this is a relatively – and I don't think he's ever had the situation he's in now where he offensive system, which Nathaniel Hackett is bringing over um, an elite skill position talent. I mean, he's got a lot of weapons there. So I would agree. Um, I just don't believe it is a must win season for Russell. I think it's a must win tenure.
1: Okay. And then last one for you, uh, Dan Orlovsky, not to put you in a role of news and information, but I mean, you're, you hear a lot of stuff, your ears to the ground as you also do your job so well at ESPN, why is Baker Mayfield in the situation he's in right now, do you think, Dan?
3: Yeah, I think it's probably two reasons. Um, number one, the finances. You know, teams don't want to take any of that money, and it's weird because Cleveland, you have to pay them. Whether you cut them or not, you have to pay them. And you saw the report last week. No one wants to do Cleveland any favors. So that's um, – and it, 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 it's a one-year rental, I guess. You know, you, you don't know – um what the if he comes over and plays good football or, or, or pretty good football are you going to commit the money that the quarterbacks are getting nowadays to mm-hmm. him so uh I, and maybe a little bit of the personality maybe a little bit of the abrasiveness that you you hear some reports about i've been adamant rich i don't i don't understand how a team didn't sign send a fifth round pick and, and four million bucks <laughs> to, to cleveland for him. Yeah. um but i I just believe he's a good player, and uh, I think that at some point he's going to get on a roster, and I think he's going to make a general manager look very intelligent.
1: Dan, thank you for the time. Always appreciate it. Never uh, take it uh, uh, for granted. Uh, Let's do this again whenever you're around. If you come out to L.A., I'd love to have you in here, too. That would be fun.
3: I might be out in L.A. sooner than ever anticipated, brother, so uh, I appreciate it. Always good to be with you. Let me
1: know. Let me know, sir. You be well, Dan. Yes, sir. Okay, that's Dan Orlovsky, everybody, right here on the Rich Eisen Show out here in Los Angeles. Hopefully sooner rather than later. It would be great to talk to him. Boy, I just love listening to him talk. Hmm. It's great.
0: Week one, Dallas Cowboys. Lost to Tampa Bay. Dak Prescott. He was phenomenal. But passes. he
1: said in a win. He said in a win. What I'm saying in is, a though, win.
0: these th- two, three of these losses, the Cowboys lost because Greg Zerline in week one uh, missed an extra point, three or five. You field mean goals. the Jets' new kicker? They uh, yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah. We lost. <laughs> week two, two or three field goals, one of two extra points. Zerline, Dak, 375, two touchdowns. That should have been a win. Then against the Cardinals late in the season. Lost by three? Oh, Zerline. Missed field goal or extra? Like uh, anyway, <laughs> gotta win the well, game. I'll push back. I don't know off the top of my head,
1: but sometimes you're out there kicking field goals because your offense stalls. Yep. So don't put it on the leg of your kicker. <laughs> How about okay,
0: cowboy. When missing, you could just keep it in your own point, damn hands, yeah, missing extra points. Hey, How, I, I don't want to. I'm just I, saying for him to say that it's, it's, it's. I just don't.
1: I I I totally. Get your vibe about Dak. I, 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 I would take him. Obviously, if I'm starting a team, I would take him. I think he is a winner. I think he is a great person to put out there in your community. But I don't disagree that this is his. This is a very pressure-packed year for him.
0: Well, yeah, it's always now, pressure. Now, now, in the same in way that he Dallas doesn't Cowboys think it's a pressure-packed
1: year, that's it's it's a window. It's a, it's it's the same thing. He says it's a window for Russell Wilson to win. A must win, must win window, as opposed to the window just being one year. I don't think it's a one year window for Dak either. I think it's a window that he needs he, he win in this, you know, contract that he has just signed. Okay, like I, I would put, like I would say that that is that way for him. It's not like if he doesn't perform well this year, the Cowboys are going to think of going in a different direction for twenty twenty three. And that's kind of they might look point. over the steering wheel and say, I don't know if this is the guy. I think I think if, if Dak doesn't perform this year, that's going to fall on the coach's lap. And Mike McCarthy will be adios. And they'll figure out a different way for Dak Prescott to be nurtured and coached under Dan Quinn's tutelage. I think that will happen if Dak doesn't have a great 2022 season or doesn't live up to the standard of that contract. I think that will fall on McCarthy, not Dak. So that's the, that would be my response to to um, to him being atop the list of the quarterbacks under the most pressure in twenty twenty two. Now, if you look at the other people on his list, Tua, uh, I think if he doesn't perform well this year, see ya. Yeah, he, like like we're 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 he entered, should be like, number one. Right? Well, he'll still he'll still be on the roster because this is you know this will be Here. well no no actually the, he'll they'll have to pick up his fifty year option they'll have to talk about that. So he'll be in year four. He won't get his contract, and he might not get his fifth-year option picked up. Like, that will be his result of of not performing well this year. Jalen Hurts might not have a job because the Eagles have that backstop of multiple picks next year, right? And then there's Zach Wilson, who, you know, does not Look, man, it's New York City. There's always pressure going on, and it's time. It's year two, but you're hearing, you know, Rome like... How many times are you going to hear from people who I respect? Romo last year, Dan Orlovsky now. How many times are we going to hear Patrick Mahomes' name thrown around with him? He's got a ceiling of Patrick Mahomes, says Romo last year. I I I I I I didn't see Mahomes. I didn't see Patrick. I didn't see I I didn't see Pat. I didn't see the patrol. <laughs> I didn't see Showtime. I didn't see any of that last year. And now here's Orlovsky saying, you know, set up in a second year with the Weapons surrounding him and the coaching staff that knows what to do with him, like no quarterback since Mahomes his second year, which was his first full year of starting. But I'd put Russell on that list over Rodgers. You think Rodgers sitting there feeling pressure? I
0: don't don't think Rodgers feeling pressure. I got to do it this year. Brockman will tell what Brockman would say. This the fact is that we, and this is how I think Chris would answer this. We do hold Aaron Rodgers to a high regard. He is on a lot of people's Mount Rushmores. Right. Yet the man has one championship. He has a one, he has won a has championship, championship. And I know so. he
1: has just one. He has just and one. that's
0: a shout out to my boy Brock. No, I know, I, he, I know, he, I know he has
1: just one. And I know that's what Chris would, would push back and saying to me, I, I, you know, he, he, he might feel the pressure to win one more before his, his time runs out. But I think he probably, you know, if he could play like Rogers does, I mean, like Brady does, he's got four or five more years left. And if he could play till age 43, 42, if that's what he wants to do and it certainly looks like he's got the ability to do it and the skill set to do it and the 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 you know, luck of staying healthy to do it. And that's big. Then let him go find his own Tampa Bay Buccaneers before he leaves and do it one more time with somebody else. That's why I don't think he's going to sit there and feel pressure. He's like Mr. RELAX. <laughs> yeah, he's. You know, he's chilling, like that's regardless. why I don't think he's going to be under it that might be our punditry talking about it. And I understand why Dan would say that, but that's why I'm saying take him off, and I'd put Russ on. Like, because you got to show up. Everyone is thinking that his skill set diminished in Seattle, and part of the reason why Seattle let him go is they don't feel like he's got the longevity. Yeah, so. to continue to do it. And Denver's like,
0: we're going to have a parade here. That's some pressure. Yeah. Like Dak is not, lo- like you said, Dak is not lo- looking at this list. He's not losing his job unless something happens. Well, really neither is Russell happens. either. I Russell, guess we're going
1: back and forth as to what constitutes the Dolphins pressure. Quarterback in the
0: quarterback in the team from Philadelphia, those quarterbacks are really feeling the pressure.
1: Let's take a break here on the Rich Eisen Show. We'll finish up with a little Rich Strike talk. We haven't really delved into it. <laughs> Let's do that when we come back here on this Monday show. It's that time of year, people. Spring has sprung, and that means spring cleaning, or at least Callaway, everybody. Every golf company claims to be the longest off the D, but Callaway's new Rogue ST driver is the only one built to completely bomb it. It's been speed-tuned to be Callaway's fastest, most stable driver ever. Every Rogue ST is engineered with a tungsten speed cartridge, which gives you more... Speed on off-center hit provides more forgiveness thanks to high MOI, but that's just the beginning because Callaway, you know what they've done is they've engineered Rogue ST for every single player. Now, I fit into the Max. Most people will because of that incredible combination of distance and forgiveness. That's exactly what I need to get off the tee. There's the Max D, the dedicated draw model if you want more shot shape correction. If you need something more low spin, there's the Max LS stronger trajectory more neutral ball flight the true players out there you can use the rogue st triple diamond ls that's the compact low spin head that the tour players love bottom line is Callaway's thought through every aspect of speed so all you've got to do is go rogue find your rogue st driver at com slash go rogue hey man um you know we didn't have a, a show on friday um and uh so we didn't do our usual conversation about the kentucky derby and I can guarantee you, we, we could have got every expert on from our friend Hank Greenberg to Eddie Olchek to any, any handicapper. They wouldn't. No, no they, they wouldn't have told if we did that on Friday, they wouldn't have told you about Rich Strike because Rich Strike wasn't really in the field yet. I, I can't tell you how incredible this story is. And again, I understand that we, you know, people, it's hard to relate because we're talking about a horse and not a human. But... Rich Strike did not get into the Kentucky Derby field until Friday when Dwayne Lucas scratched his horse, Ethereal. And th- those who are uh, uh, in the Rich Strike world will tell you they didn't know until 30 seconds before the deadline of, of entry that they were in. And they're like, okay, we got it. 80 to 1. How do you even put odds on a horse that's only entered the field apparently a couple of opportunities at some big time races? How do you how do you even handicap it? All right, 80 to 1. And horse 21. The number of times that I have watched Rich Strike go from like 15th to winning in the last 50 seconds I've watched that on a loop, and I've shown it to my kids, and I'm like, look, never give up. And look at that super effect. It paid $321,000.
0: Yeah. Oof.
1: Second longest odds to ever win the Kentucky Derby. Paid (laughs) $163.60. The only horse with longer odds to win was Donnerail and... 1913, 91 to 1. By the way, it paid $184.90. Could you imagine what that was in 1913? Like, you could live off that for a year. Exactly. (laughs) You know? And again, I understand you might be thinking, well, it's just a horse. But it truly means you never know. Chip in a chair, as they say in poker. (laughs) Gotta be in it to win it, as they say in the lottery. You never know. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, says Wayne Gretzky. Rich strike now enters that realm in sports lore. Unbelievably inspiring. Go watch the video of that finish if you somehow haven't seen it. And that's how we go out the door on this Monday.